What is up, everyone? Welcome to Education Policy Weekly. I'm your host, John Phillips. Today is July 15th, 2020, and I am excited to be joined today by Kathleen Walsh of Building 21 in Philadelphia. Later in the show, she's going to join me to talk about authentic project-based learning in the science classroom. I spoke with Kathleen last summer, and I'm excited to say that I'm through all of the conversations from before this past school year. I have a ton of awesome people lined up to join me this year. We have a lot of work to do, and we'll kick off those discussions and start planning for action here. If you haven't already subscribed, Make sure you take a moment to do so and tell your friends while you're at it. Especially within the current amalgamation of pandemic, the awakening to so many about racial justice in this country, and more, now is as good of a time as ever to learn more about the connection between education and politics and start doing something to change education for good. In addition to this podcast, I am kicking off a newsletter called 5 by 5 where I deliver five things to read, write, hear, see, and do right to your inbox. Each post will be centered around a particular topic. For the inaugural newsletter, we'll be looking at justice from all angles. You can find the link to subscribe in the description box for the episode or on my Twitter, at ByJohnPhillips. I look forward to you joining the community. Before today's interview with Kathleen, let's talk about what is going on in the world of education policy this week. Less than two weeks after President Trump called for schools to open, he is still very much banging that drum, telling CBS News in an interview last night that schools have to open and that suggesting that anyone saying otherwise shouldn't have a job in a position of power, which is, well, something coming from him. Of course, it is a much more complicated situation than Trump himself is making it out to be. While he tries to frame it as a straight partisan issue, with Democrats wanting schools to stay closed and Republicans wanting them open, the truth is that there is far more nuance to the conversation. Had the country's officials, federal, state, and local, made opening schools the top priority since March, then the debate would become much more clear. There'd be lower rates of infection. Money would have been allocated to districts to ensure that students and staff would be safe in school. And the risk of opening would be much easier to swallow for almost everyone involved. Obviously, that is not what happened. And yet, as cases spike in states across the country, there is a pressure on schools to open up anyway. To be clear, while I hesitate to speak for all teachers, I think that it is fair to say that, broadly, teachers would be more apt to return to schools pre-vaccine were the rates of infection lower across the country than they currently are. That doesn't mean that they want to be out of the classroom. Read teachers' accounts of their time distance learning, and you would not read the voices of elated educators. You would hear stories that were at best trying to make good out of a bad situation, and at worst, hear heartbreaking tales of struggle, pain, and loss. There is no good solution in this case. And to harken back to something my friend and mentor Chris Lehman from Science Leadership Academy talks about frequently, we need to frame our thinking around how to make the least bad decision. So as districts like the Los Angeles Unified School District and the San Diego Unified District move to start the year entirely online, which they announced yesterday, 
That is their attempt at creating the least amount of harm. But do not believe that it is as simple as Democrats want to keep kids out of schools and Republicans want them open. Another trend that is important to watch is what is going to happen for upper middle class and upper class families who are going to be hiring people to work to teach the students of two or three families so that those parents can get back to work while their students are engaged in distance learning. This is obviously something not every family will have access to, and it is going to increase the divide in terms of academic success and the opportunity gap. Again, as Paige Harden on Twitter explained yesterday, this is something she knows will help her children, but she also knows will increase the opportunity gap, point blank. She names correctly, I think, that there is truly no easy, purely good solution. That's it from the news. If you already subscribe and you love the show, please feel free to give it a five-star review on iTunes. As I mentioned before, our guest today is Kathleen Walsh from Building 21 in Philadelphia. This conversation is a good example and reminder of the difference between the standards teachers have been expected to teach since Common Core was installed and even earlier during this era of accountability measures that we've been in since the 90s, and the practical knowledge a student can walk away from a class with. So without further ado, my conversation with Kathleen Walsh. Kathleen, thank you so much for joining me. I'll start you with this. How did you get started with Building 21 to begin with? I found Building 21 by their website. Um, and I really loved the whole story of what, um, how they came to be and what their idea was based on the original building 20 at MIT. Um, it was like an idea that really appealed to me that different people with different strengths, uh, that would connect and network together to then be very creative and come up with very innovative things to try that might hit upon the right things. So, um, that's what originally attracted me. I'm a very creative thinker. I love um, using my creativity and being valued for what I bring. Um, I knew that there are certain areas where I'm strong, certain areas where I'm not as strong. I'm not one of those authoritarian classroom manager types, but I'm very engaging and I do all the extra engaging kind of stuff. Um, so I like the idea that they would value me for what I'm bringing. And I like the creative project-based um, environment that I'm working in. I would say that Building 21 takes what I would call an iterative approach. Um, so they work together to find solutions to the problems. And then we try things out with sort of a growth mindset that, okay, we're going to make mistakes. You know, but if we don't try to do these things and take this risk, then we're never going to find the right thing that's going to work for the needs of our specific kids. And it's not always something that everybody else is talking about. It's something that we know based on our own kids. So I like that growth mindset that they, they let you fail and they support you and expect, you know, as you're trying things that that might happen. Um, I don't feel like I have to overhaul my school because they are doing that all the time. It, we're all, we work together as a team. Um, 
pretty much everyone's coming back from last year. That's a great environment. You know, we don't have like a toxic environment. We have a learning and growing kind of environment and people are there for the, to, to really get their feet their whatever you call it, dirty, <laughs> like really just jump in and do the work. You know, everybody is very dedicated. I would have to say, um, so it's a great, I don't know. It's a good environment. It's very energizing. Yes. It's really, really hard. <laughs> we all get beaten down and tired, you know? What I'm interested in is that what you are trying at your school is a compilation of a lot of ideas that I think are in gaining steam in education, but they aren't always necessarily put together in the way that Building 21 does. And so I'd love to hear the way that you think about how relational-based teaching, right, and just building a community in your spaces and building relationships with your kids, having restorative practices and restorative justice practices, how does that tie in in your mind to the project-based aspect, to the growth mindset, and then also mm-hmm. with the forward thinking to when students leave Building 21, we as the adults in the building want them to be able to be prepared for whatever the world throws at them. So how do all of those ideas connect in your mind? Okay. Well, you could be standing on your head doing this most amazing you know, state-of-the-art, best practices education. But, like, I think the key to everything is building the relationships with your kids. So um, that's foremost. And then with that, you know, like, you get to know them. And I think the goal for us is trying to, through our educational idea, what we're going to do every year, it's, trying to give them like try to empower them through creating things that they can make and do that are authentic to them so and when you're doing things that are highly authentic um because you've gotten to know what works that would be authentic i think that's where it all connects i i i agree wholeheartedly and i think that that authenticity piece is where a lot of schools and also just a lot of classrooms and that's no blame or anything but i think it's hard to teach authenticity it's hard to teach actually putting the best will and wants of your kids at the front of everything that you do and so i'm interested to hear about how you build that community with your kids and then also, what do you what do you as the adults at Building Twenty One? How do you ensure that there is a culture of authenticity within every classroom? How do you make sure that all the adults are on the same page? Well, we I would say it seemed like a hundred percent of the teachers came out to an optional summer design institute this summer just last week. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and we were there, you know, eight to three, and we were in teams with our grade teams, um, putting together uh, 
dis- interdisciplinary projects in which our goal was this whole idea of empowerment through creating, doing authentic learning. So we had to create a project that everybody and all the subjects would combine together to go with. And so, yeah, so we did that. And then we presented it on Friday, each team, each grade team. And this was, this is our, what we're all going to be doing this year. So everybody's on the same page. We're all using the same website that will then go to the kids and the parents and everybody. And we're just, we're creating the content right now. Um, We already have our, our theme for, I'm in the ninth grade team. And so um, everybody figured out a way that we could create sort of a theme that would work together for what we're all going to be doing. Um, and that's, I feel like we're pretty unified in that because right. you have the ninth grade teams came out with their idea, yes. the 10th grade and 11th grade. Everybody has created this thing. We're going to try it out and see. <laughs> we have not done a lot of interdisciplinary projects amongst many different teachers because that's a huge thing, you know, to do at the high school level. Um, so last year I piloted one. And I got two other teachers to join in. So it was just the three different teachers to do one at the end of the year. Um, and it, it came out pretty good. Um, it was pretty, you could just see the um, the level of richness and connections that the, in the buy-in that kids had. Um, it, and they could come at it from these three different disciplines, right, you know, so right. that added a lot, I thought. And I think, you know, that the minute you start doing it and everybody sees these kind of results, yes then you're going to get even more buy-in. But right now we're in the, everybody's going to do it. <laughs> everybody's sort of facing it. There's a lot of fear, right? You have to have a lot of courage. You're giving up stuff that you might have, would have done. You worked hard on to do in the last couple of years, and you kind of have to give up something in order to do this, right? Yes. I, yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And I think that that's a, a big, that that's another big idea that I wanted to talk through with you. It's this idea of, how how adults in a lot of spaces when they're teaching kids like we think about power in certain ways and for a school to follow a lot of what building 21 does it really calls upon the adults in the building to give up power or at least reframe what power means right Mm -hmm. and so Mm-hmm. Do you have any any stories that you can think of where you've either experienced or you've witnessed a moment where you've seen an interaction that in a different school would have gone very differently, but in yours there was a positive outcome? And what was that circumstance? Right. Well... In my last school, <laughs> everybody would have refused, first of all. No one, no one would, everyone would have refused to work together and would have been allowed to refuse. And in this school, we support what I think right. we're all like willing to go for it. And, you know, and we have to, but we know why. So I feel like we, we know that the traditional things are not, don't work. <laughs> aren't haven't been working for our kids. So I think that makes us maybe a little more open-minded to try things. Everybody was just extremely fiercely protective about their department and what they do. 
and no one can tell them what to do because they're the experts, right? <laughs> right. So, so do you think that everyone in the building, like, how do you think that everyone in the building got to the point where they recognized that the traditional way of doing things wasn't cutting it? So it's hard because all the methods of measuring that are done by external people, you know, it's almost bogus, in my opinion. Like, it's sort of random how they're measuring kids learning. And yet we're doing this whole competency-based model with, and a huge part of that isn't just subject-specific kind of skills, which there are, but also we also include next-gen essential skills habits of success, mind habits of success in, in there as well. Um, uh, looking at those 21st century skills and saying, we got to, everybody's got to do this, <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah, that's a tough one. <laughs> so, so when we think about, um, when we think about the work of getting students engaged, right? That's one, that's one of the big, reasons why you follow a restorative justice model of disciplinary action. It's a reason why you implement project-based learning, right? It's all to activate students and get them more vested in the classroom and in the school, but also in the work that they're doing. So what have been some of your favorite projects that you've seen or just some of your, the favorite work that you've seen done in your space that has made you say like, wow, this is the, this is what everyone in a science class should be doing. If you have that comp level of confidence in it. I absolutely know what good science teaching looks like and learning looks like. And I think the evidence is at the end of the year when the kids are choosing what they're going to exhibit and out of a hundred and whatever, 10 kids, by the time we get done, I've got like 85 choosing to do a science project that they did. They loved it. And they'll always remember that kind of thing. Um, so I'll say that. Um, I think when they get to actually learn something using a hands-on approach, minds-on and hands-on, um, I know it sounds really old, but it, they love it. <laughs> they always right. want to make things and do things, you know, that they see. Like kids say to me, I want to start a business someday. And they say to me, and I actually learned things that I could actually do to start my business in your class. <laughs> I now know how to make soap and I can do this and I know how to make this and that. And I don't know, they see those as useful. <laughs> but. Well, I mean, I, I, I think that it's, incredible when that type of engagement is happening though like it, it is a very special thing and I think that for a lot of reasons like traditional science education can do the op it can have the opposite effect yeah. which is super weird right. like you can be in a chemistry classroom or you can be in a biology classroom and or or physics like there were ne there were very few moments when I was in those classes and I felt tied to what I was learning mm -hmm. when in hindsight like at, after the fact now that I am older and I have learned more about what good in science 
deconstruction looks like, but also the importance of us learning these concepts and these ideas, because if you don't have that education, then we're really putting large groups of people at risk. If you don't understand certain things about biology or certain things about chemistry, go down the line, right? Um, so was it always something that you recognized and were able to do naturally or have you learned over time to build up your skills at activating students own interests to get them vested in their projects i will say that it started when i was in elementary school i know isn't that weird because you know you teach what you know right <laughs> kind of and i grew up in a um sort of like an experimental uh, constructivism type approach, whatever. My elementary school was, they did this big experiment, open classroom. We're going to, um, it's going to be about the whole child. You know what I mean? And, um, so I'm sort of a product of that. I was allowed to be creative and unfettered and learn (laughs) and find my passions. So, and I don't think there were very many people who had that experience. But anyway, and it just followed me all the way up. I was interested in that. Constructivism was the 90s, right? And I was very into that. And then, yeah, so that's what I did. All I would say it's more natural than, and of course I've built up all my skills, but I've been doing like an engineering class since the 1995, before STEM was a word. They didn't even know, there was no word called STEM. And I started an engineering class and back then, and then the next school that I worked at in the 2000s, I started an engineering class because I wanted to do those things. And now they call it a maker space, right? But everybody knew my classroom was where you go if you need to make something. <laughs> um, so I guess I had a maker space before they ever heard use that word as well. Like, I, I think when I look at Philadelphia generally, like the school district there, I think it's been m- more open-minded than other districts, at least when schools have been trying to be innovative firstly, but also return to the roots of why we do a lot of what we do and tying our learning to mm-hmm. real world application. Like not only your school, but I, I, you can go down the list and there are a number that have been given the the reins to say like, yes, we know that this will work. This will get students engaged. Is that something that you noticed too? Or like, have you seen a shift over time in terms of the community's willingness to accept and understand that this is something that is worthwhile? Or do you think that Philadelphia and and your school and the schools that are doing this kind of are outliers to what is generally a, a a more focused on the traditional uh, mindset culture overall. Well, most of what I've seen, these kind of models, more innovative kind of things are going on in areas that have much more affluence, I would say. And I would say, so and I haven't seen, even looking at networking across in conferences that I've attended and so on, that these things are happening for kids who are not the haves. You know what I mean? I don't think it's happening as much. So I would say that's pretty cool. And the fact that it's these are Philadelphia district schools as well. 
So I would say they are leading the way in some ways in Philly because there are other people who will keep coming into our school from all over the whole country. And one thing that they're very interested in is what about, you know, kids in public school that are not selected, you know, not magnet or whatever, you know what I mean? So I think that's pretty unusual, I would say. (laughs) Maybe it's an outlier, but I still feel like the word people know about us out in the rest of this country, probably better than they do in Philly. Just because within the within the various communities that your school exists, that the word gets out that there's this very innovative thing going on at this school. And it's a beautiful thing, frankly, where most districts are, are very close-minded about trying anything, period. But... I think mm-hmm. that what is nice is a lot of the non-traditional high schools that exist in Philly, not all of them are, like the models are all different and they all have the same aim generally, but the way that they're getting there are very different. And so I think part of what's happening is it's planting these seeds in different areas of this educational spectrum. And then as they each grow, sometimes you can't, you don't even know that that has been going on. You know, it's, it's very easy when you're on to the next thing, when you're seeing the, mm-hmm. the 30,000 foot view. But I think that that's a, a really incredible thing. And one, one big takeaway that I have is, what got you into this model of education was that you were placed as someone young in a space where you could think and be open-minded and be creative. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so I think that the best takeaway that I have from this conversation is that what, even if, you know, a traditional model might lead to you having better memorization skills. And when you go like it's slightly right, like you might get one more question, right. When you sit down to take a subject area test or, or any of these very, you know, we do this because we have to do this type thing. I think just mm-hmm. the mentality of I can create something. I can see the world differently. I'm really excited for what, all of the the graduates of the Building 21 model will ultimately go off to do. Mm -hmm. And we actually had some of them come back. They graduated last year, and they came back to the Institute to intermingle and show everybody what they had taken away from Building 21. And we have some, also some underclassmen came in too, and we put them into all our groups. When we were doing our 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade team planning for this interdisciplinary project, we invited the students to participate in the circle discussion about planning out for next year. We wanted to know, what is it that you want to learn? (laughs) We wanted to include their input and their feedback into the process, not just the teachers, right? Yeah, so that was really great. That happened at the Institute on Thursday. All the, all the, a lot of the students came in. That's awesome. And, and I, I think that no matter what you're trying to do, you know, no matter what model you follow, I think that having the 
courage and the willingness to give up some power and some agency to ask students, like, what do you want to do? What do you want to learn? Mm-hmm. That is just mm-hmm. a school asking that or a teacher asking that. That doesn't happen everywhere. And I think it's a very special thing. And so I think that sometimes a simple gesture like that for people that were coming to the Institute and had never thought to do that, I'm sure it opened their minds just in that regard too, which is really incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'd love to, I'd love to get you out on one story or one, one point in the data or just something that you have seen happen in your space that gives you the utmost confidence in what you are doing and it, any type of moment that makes you say like, you know, this is not easy work and this is not something that we necessarily have a roadmap for every step of the way, but I know that what I'm doing is having an impact. So I've been doing this, um, one of my projects, which ties into this ninth grade interdisciplinary project too, um, is having kids sort of map out and look at patterns of an in sort of institutionalized injustice in public health in Philly. And so we're kind of looking at sort of like what's going on with diabetes and as one example of a problem and what, what are some causal things that we can, you know, how can we map this out? Let's look at where the food places where you can get fresh produce (laughs) places where you can't. And how does that relate to, the diabetes, you can actually map this out. I've just found out um, on this, you know, this map program called ARC. What is it? GIS, right? I'm going to learn how to use that this year. And we're going to actually try to map this out, look at insulin intake and the availability of places to buy fresh things and things like that and see if we can find a pattern, what's going on. And then as a way to become a, then we're sort of emphasizing change making. How can we be change makers in the world that we live in? What can we do to fight back against these kind of institutional injustices, right? About our access to nutrition and, you know, available medical care and things like that. So I have them learn how to make their own drinks. Because they find out sugary drinks is <laughs> one of the under. They didn't realize this. Most kids don't even realize this that all that hidden sugar is there, and that that is a huge problem and factor. So once we figure that out, I say, hey guys, you don't need to um, buy into corporations. You can fight back just by making your own products. You right. can, in fact, probably make it better and brand it better for, for your market, for teens and your neighborhood. And then I have them create a whole, their own drink, right? And it's so much cheaper and, you know, so much better for them. They, they create healthy drinks that they like and they're very proud of these drinks, okay? So I did that every year so far. I've been doing that. And the kids love this project and they love, I make them test, taste test and do prototype testing and get, collect data and brand it and, you know, everything. But then, so I had a group of kids did that. They always loved that project. And then I did a teacher workshop over somewhere for the STEM ecosystem. And I invited them to come in. And um, since the teachers were learning how to do this, I made them actually do it. And I told them that we had a student group that was going to, not only did they help me plan and run the workshop, but they were going to be the judges of the drinks. 
<laughs> and they were going to judge how how well they branded the drink to the teenage market, how well the drinks tasted and everything, right? The name and all that. So the teachers had to make their drinks and then they got judged by the students and we had like the winners and I gave them a little prize or whatever. <laughs> nice. Uh, and so just like sort of like how proud they felt to be able to sort of lead this and influence the next generation of STEM educators and to see how, you know, you're bringing in this authentic voice, you know, you're making a drink for a teen, but look, here they are. They're going to be your actual authentic judges, you know? I don't know why, but that project just like is an example of how I would answer that question you just asked. No, yeah, I, I love that. And I think that people listening will take away that you need to make it relevant. But I one thing that I sense from you that I think is infectious and great is that you also care deeply about this work. And the thing that that will get you up every day is knowing that you're going to go into a space where you're going to be able to turn switches on for students that haven't yet been on before. And I think that that's a important takeaway that we should all be trying to strive to get that moment as much as possible. Right. And I like the fact that like the kids who've done my projects, they always want to do it again. They miss it because they're not doing them anymore. (laughs) They, They come by and they tell me, Oh, we want to come back and do your project. So what I say to them is, look, I got another freshman class coming up and you guys are experts. I need you to come in and teach this lesson to them, you know, and try to like, it's hard to free them up, you know, from some of their other classes, but some of them do are able to come back and be my teaching assistants when I do, because it's really handy to have the help. (laughs) I mean, I I think that there are a lot of lessons to, to take away from a lot of what, your school does, but also just your mentality around building science into something that activates and motivates students. So I appreciate you so much for coming on with me today. And I think that everyone will take a lot away from this conversation. So thank you so much. Awesome. All right. Onwards. Thank you so much to Kathleen for joining me on the podcast today. I'm so grateful to her for coming on and to you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure that you have subscribed on whatever podcast app you use, you leave a five-star review on iTunes, and that you share this episode wherever you can. Until next time, class dismissed.